Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Uh, Let me give you a heads up about what's going on in Israel um, to clear up any confusion that might, uh, our media obviously doesn't purport. Um, The Biden administration has been pressuring Netanyahu uh, to not do these judicial reforms. And let me explain what the judicial reforms are. It's the same problem we're having here in America. We have, we have uh, activist judges, leftist judges, uh, making rulings from the bench rather than letting uh, you know, our, our system of law get passed through Congress and having judges rule from the bench. And um, they're having the same problem in Israel. Unfortunately, in Israel, these judges are dealing with issues of the land, especially in the area of Judea and Samaria, West Bank, uh, taking away or not giving land to Jewish people that can live there and actually siding with uh, the Palestinians on, on those certain issues. So these leftist judges are like off the chart, crazy. I mean, crazy. So, so the Net, Netanyahu and it's, uh, the conservative movement in Israel has been trying to get rid of these activist judges. And we know that in America, the kind of activist judges that we have, right? And they're crazy. And they, like the Ninth Circuit and stuff like that. Well, under the reform, Netanyahu wanted to pass it, but then Biden says, don't do that, you're causing division. And there were some, some uprisings about that. And then so now Netanyahu just says, forget it, we're doing it, we're, we're gonna get rid of these activist judges because they have a, a, a little clause uh, called, the, I think, a reasonableness act or something like that, that these activist judges can say, well, if, the, if, if parliament or the Knesset passes a law, then the judge can actually rescind it and say, no, that's not reasonable and we're, we're, we're going to kill the law. And so you have the people who vote for it and the representatives passing a law and then the judges, the judges taking away the law. And... Um, and it's kind of just like what happened in California. When we voted against gay marriage, what did the judges do? Totally discounted all the, ver- uh, all the votes and the voters, and this made a law themselves, right? And just subver- subverted the voting. So Netanyahu was trying to get rid of that in Israel, and it's causing this, this, these, these outcries. And the outcries are coming from the left. Please understand that, that 70-something percent of Israel is either agnostic, atheistic, or secular, okay? Does it, so there's a very conservative element in Israel that you know, follows the Torah and the Tanakh, and, but the most of Israel is secular, and they're leftists. And so that group is the one that's out there protesting, going crazy, but it's like our left here. They're crazy. They're off the chain. They would rather have activist judges making leftist rules. Okay, so that's what's causing the problem. But let me explain something. So Israel is at the point of a pre-Civil War type of mentality with its people, okay? Uh, and one sense, on one side, you have Tel Aviv. On the other side, you have Jerusalem. And the two cities are in conflict, so to speak. I'm using that as a metaphor. And I'm telling you, where this is going is eventually the many who make the deal with the Antichrist, that group is already formed. It's already split in Israel because it doesn't say all of Israel. It says many will make a covenant with the Antichrist. And I think you're starting to see the groundwork of that right now. Let me add one more thing to this. I'm very concerned because the same thing is happening here in America. There is a pre-Civil War mentality going on in the people of America. I mean, how are we supposed to get along with child groomers? I, I, I don't know how that works. I don't know what, what people will do if you can't continue to go after children. I don't know how you deal with people that believe there's 52 genders. I don't know how you deal with people that think that's okay or that, that, that boys can dress in locker rooms among girls and boys can compete in women's sports. I don't know how long that goes on for until there is an outbreak of a civil war. I'm not saying I'm not advocating it. I'm not promoting it. I'm just telling you that when you look at the Civil War conditions, when America went into a Civil War, when you got to the point where it's like we can't even agree on reality anymore, America plunged itself into a Civil War. 
And most people that are seeing what is developing in America and Israel are watching a split in society that has pre-Civil War sentiments. Okay? Again, not advocating it, but I am telling you, this is how devolved the culture has become in America and Israel and most of Western society. Something to watch out for, something to pay attention to, but understand the signs of the times that you're living in. This is not your America of 1950. This is something that's very different now. It's something that's very strange happening to people's minds, and they're not on the same planet. Hence, that leads us into what we're talking about with, with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we've taken two, two, uh, two sermons to de- get through this passage. This will be the last one, the third uh, point about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're going to focus in on Lot now and his escape, really his reluctant escape out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, I've entitled this, you can take the man out of Sodom, but you can't take the Sodom out of the man. And the reason is, is the principle uh, uh, is, is environments don't change people. Changing the environment doesn't change them because they take themselves with them no matter what environment they go into. Yes, it's true that bad company corrupts good character. No doubt about that. But when a believer like Lot allows the world to infest themselves and get into their soul and they actually participate in the worldly devices of this world, um, even you're going to see, even though God says, I'm going to judge this, he is reluctant to leave Sodom because he loves it so much and what it offers him. It's very sad. The funny thing is, um, people ask me, Brandon, are you ready for Jesus to come back? I'm ready right now. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this world. I'm sick and tired of it. There's nothing else I want to accomplish. I mean, as long as I'm here, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. But it's not like I want to go climb Mount Everest. It's not like I want to, you know, skydive or anything like that. I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm tired of watching the wickedness. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but enough's enough, man. And if Jesus were to come back, I'm ready to go. That's my mentality. But if you asked Lot, are you ready for Sodom be destroyed? Lot would say, no, no, I have more to do. I, 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 I plan my retirement on the south side of, of, of Sodom, and I plan to go to Gomorrah for my retirement. And he's, he's, he would not want to leave. So when you ask a lot of Christians, you're ready for Jesus to come back, a lot of Christians will admit, no, I still want to do accomplish certain things in my life. I have my retirement. I have my 401k. I plan on retiring to the Cancun or whatever it might be. And I want to do all these things. And it's like, you fool. Why would you want to spend time here in Sodom and Gomorrah when everything here is going to be destroyed eventually? It's because they have the world in them. That's why. That's the problem. So it's a gut punch. This sermon is a gut punch to worldly believers. If you're not a worldly believer, you will see what I'm talking about. But if you're a worldly believer, this will gut punch you like there's no tomorrow. Because that's just the way it is. And Lot is a worldly believer. In the church, we would call worldly believers Laodiceans. So when we talk about worldly believers... The last day's church is called Laodicea because they were worldly. Now, here's the question. Why were they worldly? The reason Laodicea was worldly is because of affluence, wealth, money. The Laodicean church is wealthy, and it, go, it, it's, it, and it causes her to go into uh, her indifference, her apostasy, or just really loving the world. It's the same principle of Lot. Now, let's talk about Lot for a second. Why did Lot move into Sodom and Gomorrah? Did he like, you know, you know, the, the, you know uh, the scenery? Well, maybe he did. But really, the real issue was he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the whole fertile area of now is called the Dead Sea. Now, what it was, the scripture says it was like the Garden of Eden. Now you think, what's the big deal about that? It was lush, it was like Hawaii or whatever. It was, it was, no, from an agrarian standpoint, and this is how you made your money. 
having that kind of situation, well-watered plains, lush, it means that if you have herds and flocks and animals and you're a farmer, that you could do very well economically. Okay, So the reason he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and becomes a citizen, becomes the mayor, is because of the money. Now, wait a second. I know what you're already saying. Abraham was very wealthy, and Lot is very wealthy after they came out of Egypt. So he had money. Well, Lot, aren't you satisfied with what you got from Egypt? I mean, you were wealthy. You were so wealthy, uh, you and Abraham had to split it because you were so wealthy. But for Lot, it wasn't enough. He wanted more. And his greed led him to Sodom and Gomorrah. So it was an economic issue. So is this story about money? Yeah, it's about money. And that's the crass base of all of this. It's about money. Seeking money, seeking riches, turns you into a worldly believer, as you'll see. So let's... Let me, let me do one more thing before we jump in, because Jesus uses this, this, this passage as a warning to us in the last days. He says, likewise, as it, it was also in the days of Lot, they ate and they drank, they bought and they sold, they planted, they built. What is that? What is he referring to? They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. What is that? What is he talking about? Not only are they going through normal life, he's referring to their economy. He's referring that they think, based on their economy, that their economy will never end. That the way they they get their worldly wealth is going to continue to run and never be interrupted by the judgment of God. Okay? But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The revealing of the Son of Man is the book of Revelation. It is the seven-year tribulation. Uh, That's what uh, the Greek word uh, apocalypse actually means. It means the revealing of the Son of Man in the book of Revelation. That's what Revelation means. Therefore, he says it will be like that when the Son of Man is revealed in the tribulation. What... He's saying the days prior to it, that people will just go about their daily life, and then all of a sudden it will hit them. Now the rapture will happen, and then the seven-year tribulation is what he's referring to. But he says, learn the lessons from Sodom and Gomorrah so that you can apply it to yourselves today before I come back. Okay, got it. So let's do a little bit of review. We've already studied these passages, so I'm not going to go into depth, but I want to read them to set the context. Now, before they lay down the angels, the men of the the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight, which are angels? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So basically, it was a mob uh, of sodomite homosexuals that wanted to gang rape these two men that are really angels. We talked about that. So Lot went out uh, to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may, know, uh, may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And we had a puke factor when we talked about this, that this guy is so worldly, he's willing to keep his reputation and give the sodomites his two daughters, his virgin daughters, to be raped by this mob. I mean, this is the kind of believer he is, just to keep his reputation with the world. Okay. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. We talked about the persecution. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came here to break down the door. And that's where we left off. So the Sodomites are banging at the door. So now the angels are going to get involved. And this is what starts happening. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Notice what the last phrase says. They were still trying to find the door 
after they were blinded by the angels. Are you kidding me? Do you see the nature of evil here? That the nature of evil, an angel can wipe them blind and they're still wanting to rape and sodomize the angels and they're looking for the door so they can do it even though they're blind. Oh, my lanta. Wow. You mean to tell me that Evil works like that? Yeah, evil never takes a day off. It never sleeps. It goes after, and it keeps coming and coming and coming, no matter what you do to it. Let me give you an example. As you can see with Israel, its left continues to push the, the conservative element out of Israel. And when I talk about conservative, I'm not talking about politics. The left of Israel is pushing out the Bible believers of Israel. They don't want them, those who hold to the book anymore, in their society. So our left has more, have more in common with their left. We have commonality with those in Israel that are the conservative element that follow the Bible, like Netanyahu and the other people that are conservative in Israel but the left won't stop. They just keep pushing. So now they've moved into mob violence, right? They've moved into storming the streets and going crazy, just like we've seen in America, because they won't stop. Look at the madness that's happening in America. Illinois governor, Pritzker, signs bill allowing non-U.S. citizens to become police officers. What? Are you kidding me? They won't stop. Like every week, I see something new that evil wants to do. And it just it gets more absurd, more crazy. And even though they're told no, they keep searching for the door. Look at this one. They won't take no for an answer. Miss Italy bans transgender participants. Okay, good for them. But what happened? The groping for the door in the rule, the blindness, over 100 transgender contestants in her beauty contest to challenge the new female at birth rule. They won't stop. Now, I like this guy. And I like him because he takes a stand, and this is the stand that we all have to take and push against evil because evil won't stop, because evil wants to groom our kids and say that you, a, a, a boy who thinks they're a girl, can go in a girl's locker room and undress in front of girls and think that's okay. So I like what this guy says. This is the kind of pushback you ought to be doing. Ms. Scanlon, my daughters are going to watch this because you have become their new hero. And I can assure you that my four-year-old and my two-year-old daughters will not change in front of biological men. This is ridiculous. I don't care what party you are a part of. If you think that we're all equal and the same, biologically, you've literally lost your mind. And when my two daughters work hard in the sport, work hard in their craft to be the best that they can be amongst other women, they will compete against other women. I owe Victoria and Olivia and every other young lady in this country that. If you think I'm wrong, I am not the problem. I can assure you. Amen. I like that. Amen. Good for him. I like that kind of guy. But what is he doing? He's pushing back because the evil won't stop, right? He's pushing back. Now, the biggest false teacher on the planet, the Pope, what does he come out and say? Well, he, call, he talks to all the transgender youth in front of him. He says, none of us are, is disgusting to God. What do you mean? Well, let's read what he says. The Lord doesn't find any, any of us disgusting. If we are sinners, he comes to help us, he said. The Lord is not disgusted by our realities. He loves us as we are, huh? And this is God's crazy love. I wonder if he brought, brought, uh, uh, sorry, borrowed that from Francis Chan. He continued, God loves us as we are. God always caresses us. God is father, mother, brother, everything to us. Uh, there's some problems there theologically from what the Pope is saying. God loves human beings, and they're made in his image, but he is thoroughly disgusted with their sin. 
he is he hates their sin and is just morally an abomination to him when humans sin. So, Mr. Pope, let's get this one right. God does not affirm people in their sin. He affirms them as humans made in his image, and that can get saved, but they can't stay that way. They must be conformed to the image of the Messiah. End of story, Mr. Pope. But you know what he's doing, right? He's affirming them in their sin. He won't stop. How come the Vatican doesn't take him down? How come the Vatican doesn't remove him? Hmm. Now, let me show you this video clip. The, 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 the climate hoax that the world is burning up lacks all evidence whatsoever. And the evidence has been presented. And they don't listen. NASA has presented the, the, the evidence. All the reports, the models are wrong. The evidence shows that global warming from human beings is a hoax. But yet they keep pushing the narrative. Listen to how the narrative is now changed. Because it's the blind people looking for the door. Listen to this guy. For the entire planet, it is a disaster. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Global boiling. Are you buying that? They, it, it's a blind man searching for the door. He won't stop. Global boiling. Who's, the air is unbreathable. What are you talking about? Let's return back to the text. That's just an example of blind men searching for the door. Okay, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? This is the angels, right? Because they know there's 10 in the city because Abraham mediated for Lot saying, Lord, would you destroy the city for 10 people? And the Lord said, no. And the 10 represent all of Lot's family, okay? All right, watch. Sons-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So go talk to them. And so, here's the thing. Two of Lot's daughters are married to other Sodomites. They also participated in missionary dating and married Sodomites. So they live separately. So Lot is going to take advantage of the, of the people being blinded and then him going out and trying to warn his other family, his sons-in-laws and his daughters. And I wonder what kind of reaction they're going to have towards him. So Lot went out. Why everyone's blinded? spoke to his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But guess what? But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They don't take him seriously. What? Lot, dad, you're crazy. What are you thinking, man? It's the end of the world. No, yeah, we've heard the sandwich board guys before, Dad. What is wrong with you? Do you know why Lot has no credibility with his family? Whatsoever. Lot's going to say that, the, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be judged for their sin, and they're going to believe that? Why won't they believe that they will, will not be judged for their sin? Why do they believe that? Because of Lot. Here's what Lot has done in his witness to his family. He has lived among the Sodomites. And in order to live among the Sodomites, he had to turn a blind eye to all the junk that they were doing. He raised his kids in Sodom. Okay? 
He allowed these kids to marry sodomites. And in essence, he turned a blind eye to the sin. He didn't pretend, he, he just pretended it wasn't there. And in order to get on the city council and possibly become the mayor, he had to turn a blind eye to what the sodomites were doing. He had to compromise his Christianity, or sorry, I shouldn't, not Christianity at that point, his belief in Yahweh at that point in time with what he saw on the ground. So the church that he attended, so to speak, was the church of Joel Osteen. And he went to Joel Osteen's church in Sodom, and what did the message that come out of the church in Sodom and Gomorrah? God is love. God will never punish sin. There is no such thing as judgment. God is Santa Claus in heaven, or he's a genie in a magic bottle. Rub the side of the, the, the bottle, and out comes the wishes of the genie. That's the kind of God they knew of. But he never talked to them about sin will be judged. Blood must be shed in order for make, to make atonement for sin. He never talked about atonement. He never talked about the fiery judgment that God will give everybody who doesn't come to faith in him. That wasn't on the radar stream because that doesn't sell in Sodom. And now he wants to tell them the city's going to be judged for their sin of sodomy, and they don't believe him. Of course. Of course they're not going to believe him. The principle is this, guys. The world is not going to listen to a believer warning of God's judgment when the believer has been speaking or not, basically, and behaving as if there is no judgment for it. They're just not going to do that. For instance... Let's take First Baptist Orlando. Let's take the pastor of First Baptist Orlando. Let's take the people that go to First Baptist Orlando. As an example, case study. We have been watching this drama f- f- uh, play itself out at First Baptist Orlando, and I'm not picking on them because there's plenty of churches that are doing this. Now, you know, First Baptist Orlando allows uh, these two gay men that are in a marriage to, to become members of their church. They have baptized them. And now this guy is doing a Bible study that's LGBT affirming at First Baptist Orlando. And the, the, the thing he's putting out on his social feeds is how wonderful their Bible study is as they sponsor kids to go to camp. Isn't that wonderful? They're promoting this, Okay. What's the problem? Well, Brandon, don't you want to celebrate that they're raising money to send a kid to camp? They're practicing sodomy. That undermines everything they do. That Bible study is illegitimate. Who cares if they're sponsoring a kid? They are illegitimate. That needs to be kicked out. But do you think First Baptist Orlando can warn the culture of impending judgment? No, because they're affirming the very sin that will be judged. Oh, how about this one? Texas Christian school teachers baffled after getting fired for attending a drag show. Oh, my, that was my private time. And yeah, I put it on my Instagram and my Facebook, um, but I, I cannot believe I got fired, even though I work at a Christian school, well, I fired for going to a track show. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Are you crazy? Do you think that kind of Christian can tell the world judgment is coming? No. They have lost it. Now, check this one out. It gets better. Representative Nancy Mace out of South Carolina, I believe it's South Carolina representative, Forgoes fornication to attend a prayer breakfast. What? What? This will blow you away. So this girl claims to be a Christian, a devout, loves Jesus. Okay? Be careful when people say that out loud. But anyway, she's very LGBT affirming. Okay? That's one of her things as a representative in South Carolina. And and, and so anyway... um, she gets in front of a prayer group, a prayer breakfast in front of Christians, okay? And she says, I barely made it. Sorry I'm late, guys. But my fiance, not husband, notice what I just said, my fiance back at the hotel wanted to have sex. 
So I said, no, it's not the right time to have sex. I'll have sex later because I got to go to a prayer breakfast and speak the word of God to the people. Why didn't anybody in that prayer breakfast just get up and walk out? So you're saying, you forego your fornication. You'll fornicate later, right? Okay. You forego your fornication so you can come to our prayer breakfast and speak to us the word of God? Uh, no. I don't think it works that way. Do you see Lot all through this? Please tell me you see Lot. That's Lot. He has no credibility because he's been doing the same thing they do. And this woman, let's say if she ever says, bless God, it looks like judgment is coming, no one's going to believe her because she participates in the same sins. Brooklyn pastor chides Christians for believing that God is not with the LGBT movement. What? Yeah, but see, he's Lot. Here's another Lot. Plum is her the name of this Christian artist. By the way, I don't hardly listen to Christian music because I can't take the lyrics and, and, um, because they're unbiblical. And I can't take most of the artists because they're unbiblical. So I don't even listen to Christian music. But anyway, apparently there's some woman here called Plum or her band is called Plum. And now she's a part of the, the, the now all the contemporary Christians bands that are departing from the faith into apostasy and affirming the LGBT. I don't think you can listen to someone about judgment if they're part of this, part of the, part of the issue, right? And this is part of the, the whole Christian paradigm music, whether it's Hillsong, whether it's Bethel's music, Jesus, whatever. Uh, all these artists are apostatizing right in front of our very eyes. I don't understand why people continue to play them. I don't understand why people continue to listen to their music. It's garbage. It's theological garbage. And especially if someone's uh, practicing something that's counter to the Christian faith. But anyway, this is Lot. Let's go back. When the morning dawned, notice I underlined that for a reason. Because it's try- Moses is trying to give a contrast. The Sodomites were trying to sodomize the angels at night. Now the judgment is coming during the day. What is that? It's what Jesus said. What is done in the darkness will be revealed in the light. Ah, there we go. So the angels hurried to Lot, uh, urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, take your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Now, if, I were, if, if that was you and I in Sodom, and the angels are saying, Get out of Dodge, fire is going to rain down. I'm like, Dude, I'm out of here, man. We're gone. Don't waste any time. Oh, but let's see what Lot did. And while he lingered, and just let that sit in, he's dragging his feet. Well, now hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a second. And the angel's saying, get out, get out, get out. Now, 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 now. I don't know. Wait a second. Give me five minutes. What is wrong with you, dude? Look what they had to do to him. They took hold of his hand. They took hold of his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. What is it saying to you? These idiots, these spiritual idiots are being told the whole thing's going down. And the angel has to grab all of them and pull them out. Let's go. Move! They won't go on their own. And bless God, what is the saving grace here? The saving grace that's helping the angels pull their hands, because otherwise the angels would say, all right, we're out of here. Forget you. It's Abraham. They're doing it for Abraham's sake, not for Lot's sake and not for his family's sake. It's because of the Abrahamic covenant. And Abraham is mediated to God and asked for help to get them out of there. So God is answering Abraham's prayer, not Lot's. That's why he's doing this. It's for Abraham. Okay? You may be praying things for your kids. You may be praying things for other family members. And they may not want that prayer answered. But God may answer your prayer if you pray it. That's how mediation works. Okay. 
So they, they drag them out, the Lord being merciful to him because of Abraham really is what's going on here. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Okay, what is the deal? What is the, explaining the lingering? Well, like I told you, it's the love of money. Lot moved into Sodom because he loves money. He is what we call in the church age a Laodicean believer, okay? A Laodicean believer, and if you read it in Revelation 3, is a believer that's affluent, has money, but the money clouds their vision spiritually of their need for God. Oh, they've got their fire insurance and all that stuff. They think they're right with God and everything, but they don't live that way because the money makes them too comfortable. The money clouds their vision of what they really need because their physical needs are being met. So Laodicea is how the church ends. These are what we call worldly believers. Now, the prosperity gospel hasn't, done any, it hasn't helped us. Uh, that's, ramp, that's rampant through Western society. And so you have people on the TV telling people they need to be healthy and wealthy and this is God's blessing. Let me tell you something about wealth. Wealth is, doesn't indicate in the church age blessing, okay? That is not something you can pull from Israel. In Israel, it sometimes did. But in the church age, there is no promise of wealth to obedient believers. In fact, the most obedient believer, the ones that are conforming themselves to Christ, will be the less fortunate of society. That's how it works. Because let me tell you something about the world and how it's uh, governed. This world does not belong to you and I. It is under the usurpation of Satan, and he controls the world system. Okay, Since he controls the world system, the system is rigged to only benefit those who do what he wants them to do. If you are a believer, you are a foreigner here. And if you try to act like a believer in the system, the economic system is geared against you. Let me explain. If you're going to practice your Christianity at your job you will be capped economically, okay? You're not gonna rise to the top because in order to rise to the top to get the higher positions, you will eventually have to compromise your Christianity to get there. That's how the the government, that's how the businesses and the corporations are structured. Do you think you're gonna become the CEO of Walmart or, or Home Depot if you're not woke? If you're not practicing ESG, if you're not practicing diversity, equity, inclusion, you're not going there. Forget it. So what you're realizing is whether you work for the state, whether you work for the city, whether you work for the federal government, whether you work for a corporation, you're going to be capped if you say, I'm living up to my Christian values. You will be capped. And I've talked to plenty of us of people in our church that have hit the ceiling in their jobs. Because they said, Brandon, if I have to go any further, I have to be the one who teaches the, the critical race theory. I have to be the one that teaches wokeism, and I'm not going to do that. Okay, so be it. So what's happened is most Christians don't realize that. They don't realize they're capped, and they get mad at God. Because Joel Osteen has told them they're supposed to be wealthy and healthy and all that other junk, and it, it sets them in, a, in opposition to God. Now, if you look at church history, since the church was started, most Christians, the majority of them, have been poverty-stricken. They have never been able to rise as we have in our society in America because we had freedom because of a Judeo-Christian background. But most of the Christians don't live like this. They don't have the affluence that we have. This is why the church is in the mess it is in America, because the affluences have blinded them to their real spiritual needs. Okay, that being the case, then, you have the megachurch phenomenon that started. The megachurch phenomenon, in order to be a megachurch, you had to tell them this. You had to tell them Basically, that they can be a part of this world and they can have the great things of this world. And, you know, it was a lie. But people bought into it because it satisfied their lifestyle. Oh, so we have a problem. So that being the case, that's what's happened a lot. Now, let me explain something to you. What's the difference between worldly ambition 
and godly ambition. You must know the two differences. Otherwise, you'll get trapped. Worldly ambition seeks money, seeks power, seeks position for protection and security that come from the system itself. Godly ambition comes in a different way. Godly ambition is focused on you and this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That means you are to do it 100%. Second, work as unto the Lord. So, so it's not your boss at Walmart that's your boss. It's Jesus that's your boss, okay? So I do everything 100% as if my boss is Jesus. And thirdly, to some he gave five talents, to some he gave two, to some he gave one each according to their ability. What your job is in godly ambition is to find out what you're supposed to do in this life, what is your mission, what is your call, and do it 100%. That's godly ambition. Now, if that makes you rich or makes you poor, it doesn't matter. It's probably gonna make you poor, okay? It's probably gonna make you hated by society, okay? It's probably going to get you nowhere in society. You will not have a prominent position of fame and fortune. You're not. You'll probably be the lowest rung on society. But you'll be doing God's will. That's where godly ambition pushes you. Worldly ambitions... ambition, uh, ambition says, I want a name for myself. I want money. I want power. Okay, how do I know if my godly ambition has been transferred over to worldly ambition. Because most people don't know when that occurs. Because most people will go into worldly ambition and they'll satisfy themselves by saying, well, I'm providing for my family. I'm providing for my kids. I'm providing for my retirement. Oh, and if I make some extra money, I might give to ministries too. So they will... They will baptize their, God, their worldly ambition and put it in spiritual terms so they can sleep at night. How do I know the difference? How, what happens? I can tell you, it's right here in the middle. The minute you cross this line of compromising your Christian values in order to get money, in order to get power, in order to get position, you have crossed the line. And I don't care if it's a little compromise. The minute you decide, I will, I will not keep this value in order to have more money, in order to have a position, in order to have whatever, you've done it. You've done it. And if you don't repent of it, it will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than when you wanted to stay. And it will make you pay more than you wanted to pay. I guarantee it. Because look at Lot. So many people right now have compromised for their jobs. Look at the doctors as an example. They knew giving rendezivir would kill them. They knew it. They knew hydroxychloroquine. And uh, uh, what was the other one? Ivermectin would help people, and they refused to give it. They knew it. They knew putting people on ventilators would eventually kill them. But why did they do it? Why did they play the game? Why did they go along with Dr. Fauci? Why did they do, go along with the CDC? Why? Because they were all afraid of losing their medical license. So... What you're saying, Brandon, is, and I'm not doing all the doctors, understand me, I'm doing a generalization. But for the most part, the doctors did the wrong things to people so that they wouldn't lose their license, so they could keep their little stupid mansions, so they can keep their stupid cars, so they could keep their stupid trip to the Bahamas. Why, there's funeral parlors loaded with people who died over this and many people have been injured by it. Why? Because I don't want to lose my license. Someone's going to pay one day. Someone's going to pay. But what is that an example of? 
It's an example of, I will sell out whatever values I have to keep my stupid career. That's what it's about. And in the end, when we're all dead and gone and we stand before the judgment of God, what are they going to say? Well, I wanted to provide for my family. Yeah, in order to provide for your family, you killed thousands of people, you idiot. That's a real-world example of what I'm talking about. That is real. It happened to us, and it is happening. And they don't care. The medical establishment, the scientific establishment, they don't care. They don't care how many people they kill, do they? Look what 1 Timothy said. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Whoa, stop right there. Time out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I've been told by society. Society says if I go to public education, and then I go to college, then I'll get a good job, and I can pay taxes to keep the system going. But what did Paul say? If you just have food and clothing, you should be content. Oh, well, that's not a message anyone really wants to hear, Paul, especially in America. And then he continues on. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money as itself, but the love of it, is the root of all kinds of evil. For some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Wait a second. Do you see what he just said? One of the main reasons people go into apostasy is because of wealth. <gasps> and pierce themselves through myth, many stars. Wait a second. So the church of Laodicea, and now I get it all. It all makes sense. The church of Laodicea is a wealthy, affluent church. And they're called the apostate church, by the way. And Paul just says, money can lead you into a theological apostasy. Oh. Like Lot? Yeah, like Lot. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Now here's the command from the angels coming from God. The safest place... It's to get out of the plane and be on the mountain with God, okay? Now, we all got that clear. He's got this clear. I got the directions, right? Okay, let's see how he reacts. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains. Why? Lest some evil overtake me and I die. Are you out of your mind? You're going to die if you stay where you're at. And you're worried about going on the mountain and you're going to die in the mountain? What is this about? It's not real. It's a fake. It's not true. Because there's something in him that wants to stay. See now, this city is near enough to flee to. He is bargaining with the angel. He is compromising with the angel. What city do you actually want to go to, Lot? You, want, you don't want to be in Sodom, okay. You don't want to be in Gomorrah, okay. What, what are you doing here? Watch this. Let me get to it. Uh, where is that? Where did, I, where did I go with it? See now, this city is near enough to flee to. And it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. What did he do? What's the little one? Well, it's right here. And he said to him, see, I favored you concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was Zoar. Okay, look. You see where Gomorrah is? You see where Sodom is on the, on the map. Below it is ancient Zoar. You can go there today to ancient Zoar um, uh, if you go by the Dead Sea. But notice Zeboim, Adma, Gomorrah, Zo, uh, Sodom, and Zoar are the five cities that are supposed to be destroyed. 
But Lot asked to go to Zoar instead of going into the mountains. It's just a little one, Lord. It's just a little piece. Let me go stay there. Why is he making this bargain? Because here's the, the, the fact of the matter. Lot finds more security in the cities that are like Sodom than he does on the mountain with God alone. Because he is so invested in the culture, in the cities, he doesn't, he doesn't trust God. He, would, he trusts the worldly wealth. He trusts the way Sodom and Gomorrah operate. So he would rather stay in Zor. And it's just a little city, but it's a lot of Sodom. It's just a little city, but, but Sodom is there. That's why Zor was supposed to be destroyed. It's just like Sodom. But he says, let me go there. It's not so it's not, not that big of a deal. Huh. Principle, when we seek financial security from this world and live in a false sense of security and protection, finding true security and protection in God will be the most difficult thing and challenge for us if you do that. He, can't, he doesn't know how to relate to God in protection and security. He doesn't even know how to deal with that. Abraham does, but not Lot, because he's so used to living with worldly security. Now let me show you this scene. It's the same principle. Jesus taught the disciples the same principle. A storm hits the water, you know that, and Jesus walks out there on water to them. And you remember the story. Peter says, bid me to come out to you. The Lord says, come on out, Peter. Peter starts walking on the water. Now, you know the rest of the story, but what I want to focus is, is on the boat, okay? What does the boat represent? It represents hanging on to false security. I got to give it to Peter. I got to give it to Peter, man. He gets out of the boat, doesn't he? God bless him. Because the other 11 don't. What? What's the lesson? The 11 think that it's more secure to be in the boat than it is to be with Jesus in the storm on the water. At least Peter understood that. God bless him. But it's representing this world has no security for you. You're holding on to the edge of a boat that's already going down. The Titanic's been struck. It's going down. Safest place for you to be is on the mountaintop with God or on the water walking with Jesus in the middle of the storm. That's the safest place for you because God provides the security. That's the lesson Lot does not understand. Notice he says it's a little thing. It's a little thing. Here's the point. If you're going to break away from this world, if you're going to live the abundant life, you can't take this world with you. And that's what he's trying to do. He wants a piece of Sodom to go with him. And unfortunately, if you do that, if you take a piece of this world, it will undermine your faith. You will not have the abundant life, the vibrant faith that you're actually looking for. It will prevent that from happening in you because you're still holding on to something that you won't surrender and until you surrender that, you won't experience it. And let me, ask, let me add one more thing to it, which we'll look at next week. If you decide, I'm going to keep a piece of the world with me, I'm going to keep Sodom a little piece. It's just a little piece, Brandon. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going to keep it in me. Please understand that little piece will be your undoing in the end. What do you mean? He wanted, as he was leaving, to take a piece with him of Sodom. He wouldn't leave it behind. Sodom was in him, and he took it with him. And oh, by the way, he raised his kids in Sodom and Gomorrah. He literally threw his, threw his kids to the wolves. And he, they came with him. His daughters did, at least. And the ironic thing, and the consequential thing that's actually ironic, is even though he approved of the sodomy, the sodomy eventually was done to him. Because as they wanted to rape the angels, his own daughters rape him in a cave. And Sodom starts all over again. You take Sodom with you, it will be your undoing and you will pass it on to your kids. That's the scary aspect of this. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. 
Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Notice what, I, what it says. It didn't say it came from the earth. It didn't come from a volcano. It didn't come from an earthquake. The brimstone came from the heavens, out of the sky, okay? Keep that in mind. I'll, be, I'll come back to that. Um, so he overthrew those cities, all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Like, why did he throw that in there? What grew on the ground? What's the big deal about that? Of course, everything burned up on the ground. Ah, but we're talking about an agrarian society. And the agrarian society, what grows on the ground is their economy. He destroyed their economy, never to be built back again, ever. Oh, oh, okay. So there's what remains. To go today, there is nothing there. The interesting thing, they have the debates on where Sodom and Gomorrah are. I'm not going to get into that because I don't have time. Some say it's the north part. Some say it's on the eastern part. Some say it's on the, um, the, uh, the western part. Um, all we know is that the Dead Sea is the right area, okay? And probably the southern area of the Dead Sea is probably the best thing. Now, here's what I want to bring out to you before we go any further. All through the Dead Sea area, in certain locations, you will find a topography that looks like this. And the, 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 the color of the structures are white, not like the rest of the topography of the rocks that are there. The rocks there are typically like this, this uh, uh, reddish, pinkish color, but you'll find these white rocks, so to speak, and they're not rocks, by the way, that are out there, and they look different. And when you go up to them, what you realize is that's not a rock. It's pure ash. And you can take your hand and scrape it, and the ash just falls out in your hands. Now, what they find in this ashen layers are these rocks that look like this. This is not your general rock. This is actually brimstone. Brimstone is sulfur. And these sulfur rocks are everywhere in the region. You will find them in the layers of the ash. They're embedded in there and they're encased. As you can see, they're everywhere scattered along this Dead Sea area. Some of them are encased in crystalline, which means they, are, they, were, they were cooled and the crystals formed around them. This is not normal. This is not, not what you find in nature, by the way. You see that little rock? Somebody on our, in our online audience excavated it for me and gave me the rocks. This rock is sulfur. It's the purest sulfur on the planet. It's about 96% pure. You can't find that from a volcano. It's compressed and it's absolutely pure. Now, this sulfur ball, I cannot light it inside because the fumes would probably kill most of the people in the room. But it still lights on fire. You can still light it on fire, and they're everywhere in the Dead Sea area. Now, the interesting thing about this, and, and I want to note this, if I were to light it, it turns into molten liquid that would go over anything and burn it to ash. Here's an example of lighting one of these rocks, and, and if you ever light one, do it outside because it will kill everybody inside because of the fumes, okay? how it liquefies.
I say the text says it came from? Out of heaven. So when you hear National Geographic or the History Channel say, well, a volcano spewed this out. Well, volcanoes don't spew out this kind of purity. They don't spew this kind of purity out. They spew out uh, sulfur, but not this pure. So it's not coming from a volcano. And if you look at the topography, it rained down. It came out of the sky, not up and then down. It came directly down. It's very possible that this little piece is one of, obviously, it's found in the area. It's one of the brimstones that came directly out of heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God has left this on earth to remind us of his judgment. This was created in heaven, not on earth. That blows me away. That sets me on my, my heels. That scares me in one sense. Thank God I'm saved. But look what happened. It didn't scare Lot's wife, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? For the same reason Lot doesn't want to leave. She likes Sodom a lot. She likes the world and what it gave her. Now, here's the thing. Interesting enough, the passage doesn't explain why she looked back. But guess what? We know why. Guess who told us? Jesus did. Jesus told us why she looked back. Want to see it? I'll explain the salt in just a little bit. In that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist sets up the abomination of desolation and proclaims himself to be God. So the idea is that the Jews that see this are to get out of there and go to Petra and get out of Dodge before they get killed by him. But notice what he says. Look, and likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. So when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of there. And then he says, remember Lot's wife. Now, he's making a reference to what you just studied, and now Messiah is actually going to make the application for you. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it, just like she did. What do you mean? She wanted to keep her old life She didn't want to go on to the new life that God has for her, what we call the abundant life, right? The life of freedom, okay? She wanted to remain in that. And so in order to remain in that, she had to forfeit her spiritual life symbolized by her turning around and being crystallized as a judgment and turning into complete salt. She wasn't willing to give it up. And that's the question Christ asks all of us. I promise you, I will give you the abundant life. You can live it. You can be set free, but you have to surrender Sodom. You have to give up Zoar. You can't keep a beast with you. You have to leave it all behind. And I promise you, I will give you the abundant life. But I can't if you still hold on to it. And you will turn into Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What is the idea of her turning into salt? What is that? Well, here's the interesting thing. Look at the Dead Sea. It's full of salt. It's the highest concentration of salt on the planet. It's everywhere, man. I mean, it it makes these crystallized forms all over the place. You can even float in the Dead Sea. The salt content of the water is so thick, you float on it. But you can't stay very long in it, about 15, 20 minutes. You've got to get out of there because it will cause osmosis and you'll actually die because it sucks the life out of you. The salt does, the minerals. So it's deadly. It's really deadly. So what is the salt with her being, you know, giving us the image of? It's this. The salt in the Dead Sea currently is preventing any life from happening. There's no life in the water. There's no plant life around the basin of it because the salt sterilizes all Life. In essence, the, 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 the meaning for us is this. If you hold on to the world, 
you will in effect turn into salt where your spiritual life is sterilized, which means you will produce no fruit. You will be saved, but nothing's coming out of you. There's nothing you're producing anymore. You have a dead faith. It doesn't produce anything. And then James says, if you have that kind of faith and you love the world like Lot does and you become sterilized, you actually become an enemy of God as a believer. Lot is an enemy of God because he loves the world. Oh, man. So when I think about this, here's, here's, here's where it comes back to. Messiah says, I want to give it to you. It's yours. I bought and paid for it with my life. You can have it. But can you let go of Zoar? Can you go to the mountain with God by yourself? Can you step out of the boat and leave the security of the boat and walk out in the middle of the storm and be with Jesus in the storm? That's where he's beckoning you to come. Come. He says, I'm the one that gives you security, not this world, not your job, not your employment. It's Messiah. If you can do that, you truly will live free. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Lot's life. Wow. Wow. Blows me away. Blows us all away. That this guy was a believer and lingered. Lingered. His wife turns around. Wow. Lord, we see your judgment on sin. We, see, we understand you're a God of love, but a God of justice. And we must balance that correctly in our lives. Help us, Father, to live the abundant life, to leave behind Sodom, to leave behind this world. We can't find any security in this life other than through you. So, Father, help us to make that break once and for all in our lives. And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Messiah, that we come to faith in him today, that Jesus died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.